0: Well, my name is Ariel Ben-Layman Hanavi. I'm the author of the commentary that we are studying today. This is part C to commentary, Barashat Shelach Send on your behalf. uh, Send forth. Send on your behalf. We are discussing, we're right in the middle of the discussion about the Talit and about the Tzitzit. The Talit is a four-cornered prayer shawl that uh, Jewish people have engineered so that they can walk into the commandment found in the book of Numbers in our Torah portion here, uh, chapter 15, where God commands the sons of Israel to adorn themselves, or to place, I should say, tzitzit on the corners of the garments that they wear. In giving the mitzvah, we encounter a few questions with the text. We ask ourselves, what are the four corners of the garment that God is referring to? Where are the regions that he wants us to place these tzitzit we haven't even discussed the questions as to what they are to look like. Are they to be twisted? Are they to be braided? Or, um, what what's what should the braiding look like? What about the colors? God simply says it. I read it in the Hebrew for you, but let me just highlight it again. It is in verse um, it's in verse thirty eight. It says, Daber elbine yisrael va nu hakanaf um to The word chaylet there is the the normative Hebrew word for either a, a kind of a shade of blue or a deep purple. Um anywhere from kind of like a sky skyish blue to a deeper purple. What ends up happening, let me just this is a side note for a split second. Let me see if I mention the commentary. Um, and if I don't, that's the reason why I'm talking about it right now. I do mention it on page ten of the commentary, but let me just throw it throw it out to you right now. The color blue became an, an object of dispute in the in the uh, in the rabbinic circles as to which is the authority, which is the authorized color for blue. Today, in messianic circles, we don't seem to be caught up as much on which color blue we should wear. But suffice it to say, it's not wrong to ask those questions of the text. How long should the tzitzit be? Where exactly again are the four regions of one's garment? Um, and then now we're turning our attention on a, on, a, on a very controversial aspect of this entire discussion. Who has the right to wear these things? Is it addressed to the men? Or can the women wear them as well? So let's pick up our discussion. You know, traditions play an important part of our daily walk as new creations in Messiah Yeshua. Wouldn't you agree? I know that it is very normal to meet people who have a, an aversion to traditions. That is to say, anything that is not commanded in their view becomes a tradition, and thus traditions always play second fiddle to a commandment. Give me a second here. Okay. i to adjust this microphone again. Okay. Uh, traditions should play second fiddle to um, to any commandment, and that I agree with. However, in my opinion, some traditions enhance our walk with God, while other traditions logically or naturally hinder our walk with God. Traditions then in and of themselves are neutral. They can either be a benefit or they can be a detriment. In my opinion, logic dictates that if a tradition directly comes from the Torah, then HaShem designed it to enhance our walk. Right? Right. God gives us things for our good. Everything that God gave us is for our good, whether it's a a, a commandment or a prohibition. It doesn't matter. God has our best interest in mind when He gives us commandments. He would not give us instructions to harm ourselves. That's not the type of God we serve. So according to Jewish tradition, then, let me just kind of keep going with this traditional thing, or as Tevye would say, tradition. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, Men wear a talit to signify obedience to the above-mentioned mitzvah. The commandment says to adorn yourselves with fringes. Thus, Jewish males naturally understand that when I place a talit on, it's because the Torah commands me to do so. It also typically signifies the desire to engage in public prayer and Torah exposition, or in special cases, depending on the length of the talit or the colors involved or the the uh, uh, other other things, um, it can signify kind of a, a sort of rank among Jewish leaders for particular males. If we could have, for instance, a rabbi or a deacon or, or the chazan, the one who chants the prayers, they could all perhaps have different types or styles or lengths or colors of the same garment known as a tzitzit. And that, again, is just tradition. It's just um, a form of halakha, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, All communities do it. Christian communities do it. Secular communities do it. A way of identifying rank and and leadership and structure, authority structures within our communities, I I actually uh, think it's rather healthy. Now, we know from the Torah itself, that is to say, the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Covenant part, we know that Rabbi Yeshua ben Yosef, as a Torah-observant Jewish man, wore the fringes on his garment. You can read Matthew 9, verse 20 as just one. Obviously, in the synoptic tradition of the Gospels, there are other stories. There's one in Mark, there's one in Luke. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics. John tends to kind of break from the synoptic style. But um, you you can read the incident where the woman... With the issue of blood, reached out and touched the hem of his garment, the kraspadon in Hebrew, is the is the word rendered fringe in the text. The Greek word kraspadon is the word chosen in the Septuagint to um, represent the Hebrew word kanaf, um, uh, the word we talked about in part B of our commentary here. So the fringe, the border, the garment, the hem, that's where she reached. And why did she reach there? I believe it was because of the Ma- the Malachi passage that the Messiah would come with healing in his wings, and she understood this passage to apply to the Messiah, just like most Jewish people do today, as well as many Christians. And so she reached for the seat seat. It's plain and simple. Now we've got to ask this question. Then I do I I, I do hope to reach out to my female readership. I feel a special um, affinity with the female readership. Within this, the the scope of my teachings and my commentary, um, it's not because I have a weakness for women or something like that. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. What I mean is that I I feel that the women in our communities have for too long suffered as second class citizens both in Jewish tradition as well as in Christian traditions, or just in society as a whole. Why should the women be relegated to second-class status? I believe it's wrong. God has a very significant and important role for women to play in our communities. And if we males don't wake up and smell the coffee, we're going to miss what God is going to do for us through our women. We are forever going to to, um, stunt the growth of our own communities if we fail to realize the anointing that God has placed on women, the responsibility that God has allowed women to step into, of course, in conjunction with their male counterparts. So the question is this. Can a woman wear a talit? I didn't ask if a woman could wear tzitzit. The answer to that second question, I believe, is simply yes. She can wear tzitzit. However, can she wear talit? Well, according to the biblical injunction to perform the mitzvah of the tzitzit, Keep in mind that the Judaism engineered the Talit so that they could have the tzitzit attached so that they could step into the mitzvah. According to the biblical injunction to wear tzitzit, a woman these days should wear some sort of prayer shawl adorned with fringes if she's not going to attach them to her dress or her skirt or her pants or something like that. She should wear something so that she can step into this mitzvah. I haven't even addressed how often she should wear them. We'll get into that later on. So again, keep in mind that the above-mentioned passages are addressed to the children of Israel, which translates the Hebrew phrase, B'nei Yisrael. And we talked about how that this familiar phrase used throughout the Tanakh quite frequently normally includes all of Israel, not just the men or literally the sons. For instance, I'll give you an example. Exodus 31, verse 16 and 17 says, um, The children of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to keep it as an everlasting ordinance throughout their generation. The children of Israel, it says in the English. Some versions say the sons of Israel. Some will say the, um, the, the the community of Israel shall keep. The Hebrew says v'nei Yisrael at the Shabbat la asot at the Shabbat la dorot olam. v'shamru v'nei Yisrael. I'm sorry, I dropped off the first uh, phrase. V'shamru v'nei Yisrael. V'nei is the Hebrew phrase sons of v'shamru v'nei Yisrael at the Shabbat. Well. The commandment says that the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, which is what shamar means to, to guard, literally means to guard. Is God commanding only the males in the community to guard and, and to preserve and ultimately Asa or to do the Sabbath? Of course not. He wants the entire community to engage in this public, commu- uh, this, this, uh, public um, uh, worship day. So using that hermeneutic, just from that example alone, we can see that the term B'nai Yisrael cannot exclusively mean sons. So what this means is that historically, we should have seen the women joining in on this mitzvah if we were to examine Jewish communities down through the ages. After all, doesn't it stand a reason, and I'm going to say this just right up front, doesn't it stand a reason, therefore, that Hashem wants the females to be Torah observant also? Those women out there listening to my podcast right now who are saying, "Yeah, Ariel, you go there! Yay, way to go! Amen!" I, I can hear, I can hear you right now. That's great. I'm trying to build you up. Know that I am. I pray for you. I try to support you. And it's a shame that you are not given the recognition in the communities that you deserve. And So um, let's, let's seek to change that and, and seek to return to God's order again. I'm not trying to uproot male leadership. That's not what I'm trying to do. God has established the men as the leaders. I'm a man. I understand that principle. But the women are very, very vital a healthy community. And if we push them off to the corner, I'm speaking out to you men, if we push them off into the corner and we patronize them and say, oh no, you're more spiritual than us. You don't have to keep the commandments like we do. We're dumb. We're dull. We need to keep them because we need to be more in tune with God that way. But you, you're ultra spiritual. You've got it in your head and in your heart already. You don't need to wear the externals. You've got it within you. You're more in tune with your spiritual side. While that may be true to a certain extent, it's still a certain amount of patronization in my opinion. Let's let's, let's just drop those pretenses. What do the sages of antiquity, the Chazal, what do they have to say about this topic? We're going to find differences of opinion, and that's exactly why I bring their opinions into this discussion. Because I want you listening to my podcast, those of you who do not have access to the rabbinic materials, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Gemaras, the uh, the, the Midrashim um, and things like that, Rashi and, and etc. Et I want you to be able to understand what was going through their minds as they looked at this particular mitzvah. So let's sneak a peek at their notes preserved for us in the discussions first from the Talmud. I usually start with the Talmud because it's some of the older of the writings and it's very easily the most widely recognized authoritative part within Jewish circles today, next to the Torah itself. So let's now turn to the Talmud and see what it has to say about this discussion of whether or not a woman can wear a Talid, okay? In the Talmud tract date of Menachot 43 Daf A, or page A, we read that everyone is obligated to perform the mitzvah tzitzit. However, the, com- the uh, comment that follows exempts women. Quote, Rabbi Simeon explained, or I'm sorry, Rabbi Simon ex- exempted women because this was a positive mitzvah, limited by time and from all positive time-bound mitzvot, women are exempt. End quote. Um, now let me just explain. The commandments, the 613 as enumerated by the Rambam, have been broken down along the lines of those that say thou shalt, and those that say thou shalt not. Thus, the ones that say thou shalt are positive, and those that say thou shalt not are deemed as negative. Um, I can't remember exactly the number. Uh, I believe there's like uh, 300 and something um, positive and 248 negative, or something to that effect. I'm not looking at the list right in front of me. So, when we say that uh, Rabbi Simon exempted women because this was a positive mitzvah, rather a mitzvah that says, Thou shalt, viz, thou shalt wear um, tzitzit, women get exempt because it says it's limited by time, and from, and from all positive time-bound mitzvah women are exempt. Now, what do we mean by time-bound? Well, you, the, the underlying thought behind wearing tzitzit is that one should not wear tzitzit if one is in a in a state of of uh, tuma, that is to say unclean, and the male view within ancient Judaism, the male view of of a woman's um, state of purity was constantly in flux. Now, truth be known, everyone, male and female alike, enter into a state of tuma from time to time, especially in ancient Israel when the phrase tuma and tahor, tameh and tahor. Uh, um, uh, unclean and clean respectively, had greater s- significance than they do today. Why? Because these two terms, if you 'll recall from um, our study in Leviticus, these two terms clean and unclean, had the greatest um, uh, specificity in relationship to the holy sancta, that is to say the tabernacle slash temple um, and all of the holy things involved with that um, that structure, uh, likewise. One in a state of unclean could transmit, as it were, this uncleanness to another person of the community, depending on the level of of, of unclean. So, in a, when a person was declared unclean, for instance, let's say a woman during her menstrual cycle is deemed tuma. She is um, tameh, uh, the the adjective tame, the noun tuma. Uh, she is unclean with regards to visiting the tabernacle and with regards to having a relationship with her husband. Thus, the Torah prohibits her from having sexual relations with her husband during her period of nida, or during her state of um, uncleanness. And what ended up happening was, the rabbis, over time, once the temple was destroyed, and the um, laws concerning purity had to be re. They have to be adapted to fit normal life without the, the, the structure known as the tabernacle. In essence, the priestly duties were transferred to the home um, because the priests were out of a job. There was no temple cult for them to, per, to um, uh, perform, and therefore the priests just stayed home. They ended up teaching Torah, and eventually the academies and the schools uh, and the synagogues gra- gained a greater... Um, significance within the communities of Israel because that became the uh, locations where people would gather most frequently uh, instead of going to the temple or to the tabernacle. So when the rabbis look at the mitzvah of the tzitzit, they ask themselves, would God have wanted a person to don the tzitzit while they were unclean? And the uh, conclusion they came to is, is the answer is no. Therefore, they do not Uh, they do not obligate a woman to wear tzitzit based on some of these uh, details. Um, Again, um, this is not an exclusive view, nor is it a... um, uh, across the board view, it, it, what ends up happening in Judaism is when you, whenever you have two opinions, um, typically they'll have to go with the majority opinion. And the Talmud loves to go with the majority opinion. So if you have an odd number of Jewish people and the, uh, the majority votes on one side, then we go with the majority. It's not not any different than a, uh, a democracy where you know the, uh, the people vote and the, the higher vote wins. So that's kind of what's going on when it says uh, they're exempted from positive mitzvot, ones that are time-bound. Time-bound meaning, um, again, can I wear the tzitzit at all times or do I, do I have to take them off whenever I'm in a state of tuma, a state of unclean. Plus, women are also, if you'll recall, from a rabbinic uh, um, observation, from a male observation, women are quite naturally um, bound to home duties in many communities. I'm not in any way suggesting that. I think that the women should stay home while the men go out and work. However... There seems to be a natural order uh, related to women taking care of the home and men providing for the home. Thus, it is quite natural, uh, nothing wrong with it, to have the woman at home taking care of the home and the man out earning a living, as it were, to provide for his wife. That seems to be the natural order. Um, again, I don't have a problem with women out uh going out and working. My wife actually has a job. I have a job we both work. there are no children in the home, thus, it makes it very convenient for both of us to um, bring in an income so the woman is at home she's taking care of children she's taking care of the uh, home and as such uh she doesn't have as much time to go to the schools of studies the um uh the, you know she's she's got a lot of things to take care of at home, really, if you think about it. A wife is a full-time job. A mom is a full-time job. It's just the most underpaid job there is in the world, right? You women out there listening to me who who uh, have a family to take care of and a husband to manage, that's a full-time job with, a, uh, with, 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 with not enough pay, with inadequate pay. Amen? Amen. Good time to say amen. Let me just keep going in my commentary at the bottom of page 6. Being exempt from something does not mean one is not allowed to. Just because you don't have to fulfill an obligation doesn't exclude you from participating. Commenters such as, uh, commentators such as Moses Iserles, um argued that women shouldn't try and fulfill this mitzvah as it would constitute an excessive demonstration of pride in their own piety. Again, these rabbinic quotes that I'm introducing you to, the, the Talmudic sayings, the opinions of some of the sages... I don't necessarily endorse everything that I'm reading. I'm simply giving you some other opinions for you to chew on, uh, just so you can un- kind of understand how Judaism has developed the opinion that they have on women wearing tzitzit slash uh, a tallit. Because that, in fact, is the discussion of our question right now. Can a woman wear a tallit? Uh, and I've already mentioned earlier that I believe sincerely that the, the um, halakhic view that women cannot or should not wear tzitzit slash um, atalit, um, in my opinion, is, is it's tantamount to patronization. I really think we are, are, are um, uh, degrading our women in a, in, a, in a way where we are not allowing them to step into this mitzvah. So again, if you're hearing it right up front, I encourage women to wear the tzitzit, and I also encourage women to wear tallit if, if possible. However, I'm going to make some suggestions later on into the commentary as to if they are going to don a tallit as opposed to just strapping on tzitzit. I'm going to make some suggestions that have to do with um, male and female roles. So let's keep going. Nearly all other commentators, with the exception of Maimonides and Epstein, permit women to wear a talit and to recite the blessings over it. And if you think about it, again, we Jewish people do love to debate. Now let's turn actually now to the Shulchan Aruch, the Jewish Code of Law, um, which Shulchan Aruch literally means the set table. The Shulchan Aruch um, is uh, put together by by a rabbi, a a later rabbi, off the top of my head, I'm just drawing a blank on his name. Rabbi Yosef Cairo, I believe. Yosef of Cairo. Um, Yosef Cairo, I believe his name. Uh, he put together the shul, uh, Shulchan Aruch, and it is a it's 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 a um it's a halachic it's a it's a book put together a practical sorts to help you s- um, step into the mitzvot very very practically. Um, it, it it really details. It's like a standard operating procedure of sorts, an SOP. It it really just outlines in in graphic detail, in some cases, as to how to do the mitzvah. I mean, it's even more detailed in in some senses in the Talmud. The Talmud doesn't tend to be overtly halakhic, if if I perceive my understanding of the Talmud correctly. However, um, because I am you know giving a little bit of room for misunderstanding. However, the Shulchan Arukh just seems very practical, down to earth, very pragmatic. Um, this is how you do it: step A, step B. It's like an instruction manual, really. Whereas the Talmud tends to be more um, like a, um, a a code of, of of a legal code. It is halakhic in, in the sense that it's trying to. Um, sometimes mitigate between communities who have differing um, opinions, or differing peoples who have differing differing opinions. Two Jews, and they're trying to get one opinion. So the Shulchan Aruch is just a little more practical. It's kind of like an it's like it's like a um, what's that book called? The uh, Farmer's Almanac of sorts. You can just take it home, open it up, and turn to any topic and start reading on how to put how to do that particular topic. It's a very kind of a how it's like one of these books at the store, like a how to do book, you know, or Almost like this book, um, these books, this series called um, the For Dummies series. You know, like if you don't know about computers, you pick up a, they're usually yellow and black. Like a computer for dummies book, or Windows for Dummies, or Macintosh for Dummies, um, you know, or, or Judaism for Dummies. You, you've seen these books. Well, the Shulchan Aruch is kind of like that, okay? It gives us an inside look as to how the Chazal interpreted these Pesukim of instruction. So, now, I actually don't own a copy of the Shulchan Aruch, like a linear copy, something I can hold in my hand. Um, another resource I need to go out and get. So I will give you a quote from a trusted web source by the name of Torah.org. However, before I quote their online resource, they would like to provide their disclaimer on this translation, which is typically true, since there are actually several translations of the Shulchan Aruch. Um, One author wrote it, and then there are several commentators who translated it and put it together. And so um, here is their... uh, Uh, disclaimer to the translation that I'm about to read, okay? Quote, Halacha Yomi by Rabbi Ari Lobel is a translation of the Kitzker Shulchan Aruch, um, the Kitzker Shulchan Aruch, I'm sorry, Rabbi Shlomo Gansfried's classic companion of the Jewish law from the late 19th century CE, okay? So, uh, our translation, speaking of... This is Torah.org speaking. Our translation is primarily derived from that of Rabbi Eliyahu Tauger, recently published by Mosnaim Publishing Corporation. Readers are encouraged to purchase the book from their local bookstore or by calling Moznaim and then they give you a phone number there. It is important to note that the application of the principles of Jewish law frequently depends upon the unique context to which they are applied. Consequently, a specific ruling of 150 years ago will not necessarily be the accepted practice today. Furthermore, not all the rulings of Rabbi Shlomo Gansfried in his Kitzer Shulchan Aruch are accepted as definitive. Okay, with that being the uh, disclaimer, to my uh, choice of Shulchan Aruch here, let's now turn to the commentary on the Tzitzit and the Tallit, and because of their pertinence to our discussion, I'm going to make the quotes at length. So, for the next one, two, uh, roughly two pages, this will be the Shulchan Aruch. Okay, these are not my comments; these are comments uh, from one of the um, translations of the of the Shulchan Aruch, and. Um, the addresses per insertion by TorahBot.org have been included with the commentary. The addresses where you'll see um, a statement, then you'll, it'll say see like, almost like a chapter and verse, okay? 9 verse 1 or, or, or something like that. And so, um, I don't know if I want to read... I suppose I shall read the, uh, the the little addresses there, okay? In case someone owns, so one of you listening actually owns a, a copy of the Shulchan Aruch and you'd like to re-reference this, okay? You ready? Here we go. Quote, A garment that has four or more square corners on opposite sides, see uh, chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, 5 through 9 in verse 12, requires fringes. Now I'm going to use the, the term chapter-verse similar to what a Bible might break down because that's where you see... Um, If you're looking at the written commentary, you'll see like the number 10, colon, number 1, which we're familiar with when we look at a Bible, we we break it down to chapter, verse. So I'm going to, like a book might have a chapter and then a section. And um, I'm just going to follow that kind of that format, even though technically I don't think the Shulchan Aruch uses chapter, verse format. But just follow with me. Let me start over. A garment that has four or more square corners on opposite sides requires fringes. That is, tzitzit provided it is big enough to cover most of the body, see 16 verse 1, is primarily used for that purpose, 10 verse 10 through eleven, nineteen verse 1 through 2, and is owned by Jews. You know what? It's a bit confusing to read the addresses. I'm just going to skip the addresses. I'll just read it through as a commentary. And if you'd like to look at the addresses, well then you need to um, listen to this commentary while reading the written commentary that way you can see the addresses there okay so i'm not going to read the addresses tzitzit are required when the garment is worn during the day or when it is worn at night if it is normally worn during the day the requirement of tzitzit applies only to garments made of cloth and is only rabbinically unless i'm sorry only rabbinical unless they are made of linen or sheep's wool according to some opinions the garment or the tzitzit should not be of linen the tzitzit may be either of wool or of the same material as the garment. They may be white or of the same color as the garment. Now let me pause there for a moment just to comment on the commentary. Notice how it said the requirement of tzitzit applies only to garments made of cloth and is only rabbinical unless they are made of linen linen, or sheep's wool. There is a, um, a commandment in the Torah called sha'atnez where we are prohibited from wearing linen wool garments together. Thus, the the commandments surrounding wearing a garment that you're going to attach tzitzit to. Notice the very first statement where it says a garment that has four or more square corners on opposite sides. Uh, We have to be conscious of what we're making the garment out of compared to what the tzitzit are also going to be made of. And again it says according to some opinions the garment or the tzitzit should not be of linen. Preferable these days that the the garment is more probably a wool or a cotton blend um, m- many seat seats are made of of wool or cotton or something to that effect. There are a few that are made of like a, a lighter material um, However, cotton and wool are are, are kind of a, a general uh, preference for those and then it goes on to say that the seat seat may be made of either wool or the same material as the garment. However, what ends up happening in some cases is the seat seat remember they are the tassels. They can be made of a different color now there 's a practical application to this because the dyes that are used in the seat seat and in the garment itself will attach themselves more readily to one um, one fabric versus another. Some fabrics repel dyes and other fabrics um, accept dyes more readily, and so we want to take that factor into account when we are constructing both the garment that we're going to attach the tzitzit to, as well as the seat themselves. Also, when it comes to sha'atnez, we are forbidden from mixing wool and linen together. So we don't need to uh, ask ourselves, can the garment really be made of wool and linen, since we already have a prohibition against it. However, that being the case, the priestly garments that were given to us in the book of Leviticus actually... Um, did not follow this prohibition of wearing wool and linen together. The priests were allowed to wear garments of wool and linen together. Um, And it's interesting that the tzitzit, being a slash priestly garment, I'm sorry, quote-unquote priestly garment, has been known to have these two items together. We'll get a little more into that, but right now I just wanted to kind of introduce you to that concept. Finally, also in the commentary, isn't it interesting that it says right there in the Shulchan Aruch, quote, they, speaking of the tzitzit, may be white or of the same color as the garment. This addresses another issue. How many of you who are familiar with standard uh, tallit have ever seen a tallit where the tzitzit are not white? I don't know that I've ever seen any manufactured from a uh, a standard rabbinic um, uh, factory where the where the garments are produced. I've never seen one that's not white. Then again, I haven't traveled the entire world, and so perhaps there are some. I just have never seen any. Have you guys seen any? Every time I go to a Judaica store, all of the tallits that I see are white, or generally white. I mean, they have colored stripes in them, don't get me wrong. Some have black stripes, some have blue stripes, some have red stripes, some have gold stripes, silver stripes, etc. But generally speaking, the, the, the bulk of the garment is white, and to be sure, the tzitzit are usually all white without any tzitzit in them, without any blue. I, in fact, I don't know of a single company that manufactures the the uh, the seat uh, seat and weaves the blue into there from from a purchase point of view. So that at the point of sale, you're able to just buy it with the blue. Uh, some people who've traveled to Israel, some of my friends, say that there is a group in Israel. I think they're called the National Religious uh, Jewish religion, or National Religious affiliation. I I can't remember. I think it's National Religious. They And they're not Messianic. They've been known to have the blue in their tzitzit. And it is somewhat of a well-known phenomenon these days that non-Messianic Judaism prefers no blue, even though the mitzvah says put the blue in there, when compared to their Messianic counterparts who have retained the blue and prefer it. So... There's an interesting phenomenon right there, but what ends up happening? What now we're talking about is there are messianic groups who are actually taking the tzitzit, the surrounding threads, not the tochelit, but the surrounding threads. You know, typically a tzitzit these days will have eight threads. That is to say, seven plus the um, uh, uh, plus the uh, the blue, ending up with eight. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, one, two, three... One, two, three. Yeah, what it is is it's four threads pulled through a hole, which ends up with, um, you know, three white threads and one blue thread. And then, if you pull it through a hole, well, then you end up with the um, four on one side and four on the other, and then you can start braiding them of sorts. Well, at any rate, um, some people are manufacturing the the surrounding threads. Uh, Miss XR. they're making the surrounding threads a different color than just a white. They're matching the color to their shirt or the garment that they're going to place it in. Um, Or in the case of the little tzitzit where you just remove them, it's just a tassel that you can strap to your belt, loop, or something like that. And that's a whole other discussion, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, They manufacture them in all kinds of different colors, maybe pastel colors and things like that, but never forgetting to put the blue in there. And what ends up happening is some traditional Jewish families or people groups look at this... Uh, innovation, this chedushin of manufacturing or putting together tzitzit with other than white threads and they become put off or offend, outright offended. So we're going to talk about that later on. But suffice it to say the Shulchan Aruch says right up front that they may be white or of the same color as the garment, which means even the Shulchan Aruch allows for the surrounding threads to be an other than white color. Okay, let's keep going. This is the Shulchan Again, we're on the top of page 8. Quote, The threads used for tzitzit should be spun and twisted for that purpose by a Jew, and the tzitzit themselves should be made by a preferably male Jew. Preferably for that purpose. Now I just want to pause there again and say, I don't I don't hold a halakha that says that the tzitzit have to be made by a Jew, especially since I don't toe any, sort of, any sort of policy that would suggest that Israel is comprised of Jews only. Quite the opposite. Israel is comprised of Jews and non-Jews. However, the Shulchan Aruch is not written by Messianic Jews. The Shulchan Aruch is written by non-Messianic Jews. Thus, they are naturally going to tow the halakhic prevailing... Uh, I'm sorry, the prevailing rabbinic halakha that teaches that Gentiles are excluded from Israel. Simple enough. Let's keep reading. They, speaking of the tzitzit, should be made of material that is permitted and of good quality. They should be at least 12 inches long... If they become untwisted, they remain valid, provided they remain partly twisted. But they should be knotted at the end so that they do not become untwisted. On what, on what to do if some of them break, there's another chapter. The tzitzit are passed through holes near the four corners of the garment that are farthest apart. Four tzitzit are passed through each hole. See, that's what I, if I'd have just kept reading, um, then I would have known. Exactly how many numbers i've I, you know once you tie a pair of seat seat to a to a tallit and maybe then you have maybe another set for a second tallit or maybe another set for maybe like you wear them on your belt loops or something like that, unless you are the designated seat seat tire in your community you don 't really end up tying a lot of pairs of seat seats so you may go a season where you don 't tie i ser- i personally uh, when I first met my friend Pastor Mark McClellan, I personally tied. His seat seat to his tali because he was given a tali shortly after I met him, which was seven years ago. And uh, as a friendly gesture, I tied his his seat uh, seat for him. And then I uh, went out and pr- repurchased a new tali on my own a few years after that, and tied the seat seat to that. And then um, I went a few years where I didn't tie any seat seat at all. Uh, a pair was actually given to me by Mark's daughter, um, Jessica McClellan. Uh, and and those of you who live in the community near Thornton, Colorado, if you'd like a pair of seat seat, and you want them done quality, you want quality work done, talk to Jessica McClellan. She can get you a pair for a great price, and she'll tie them up for you. And so all you got to do is just pay her, and she'll get it done for you real fast. Uh, she makes all sorts. Uh, she makes children's seat seat. She makes adult seat seat. Um, you know different color sizes, uh, things like that. And then um, just recently, a student of mine, a female student, had a talit, and it had the white Uh, seat in it And I suggested to her if I asked her really If she would let me uh, uh, Purchase and tie The blue The Tzitzit in there And she allowed me to So I just recently Was able to tie a set there So Talmida I want to thank you For allowing me to do that Because I need the practice Of of going back and doing that And so um, uh, You go back and you put the You know it takes a while It takes uh, Actually you have to Unravel the white And then re-put in the blue In there and so um, it can take a few hours to do that, and you're, and you, and what's really neat is your fingers turn blue in the process as you get the uh, tachelat all over your fingers. So at any rate, um, tying tzitzit is a mitzvah, and it's great. In fact, the, the rabbis, I'm going to get down to it later on. They actually they actually say it's a mitzvah for you to tie your own tzitzit. That, that's not to say you can't get friends and family members to do it or get Jessica or someone to do it for you, but um, they just make it a suggestion that you should tie it at least one time in your life. Okay, so here we have it. Four seat tzitzit are passed through each hole, and the two groups of four ends are double knotted to each other at the edge of the garment near the hole. One of the seat, seat is made longer than the others, and usually that's the uh, the the, the, uh, the blue and the tzitzit. The long end of that one is wound around the other seven and double knotted. This is done repeatedly so as to make a total of five double knots separated by four sections of winding with a total length of at least four inches, leaving free hanging ends that are twice that long. And generally speaking, again, Every talit that you buy in Judaica stores today, whether it's a talit gadol or a talit katan, um, the large talit or a small talit, they will generally follow this practice that's right here in the Shulchan Aruch. If you look at them and pull them out, you'll see the five knots separated by you know the four sections with the five double knots. And uh, that's pretty standard today. We even even from Ashkenazi to um, to Sephardi, It it's just across the board. It ends up being that way. Now, sometimes the knots can end up being different, being different, and there can be braids with between the knots, and and there are a variety of different ways to um, knot up the tzitzit. I mean, there is no mitzvah, at least in the written in the Peshat of the Torah, as to how to tie these tzitzit, but the Shulchan Aruch takes it upon itself to um, introduce us to how to tie them. So, in my in my opinion, and I'm Kind of taking my cue from Rick Spurlock of BereansOnline.org, uh, of which you uh, can log onto his podcasts and listen to those very, very good material by him. I might recommend. He he has a quote where he's careful to say, speaking of uh, we Messianics, people who are Christians who are coming into Jewish um, movement, uh, the Messianic movement, we must be careful not to undo tradition when it's not necessary, and there's nothing wrong. With the traditional way to tie tzitzit. There's nothing wrong with the description here in the um, Shulchan Aruch as to, you know, that's f- f- four, uh, four groups of, you know, two ends, they're double knotted and they're edged and it's got to be 12 inch long. There's nothing wrong with that because the text is silent on what the tzitzit should look like. And so, in my opinion, because the Jewish community has been walking in this mitzvah for thousands of years before the Christian church ever came along, before any Gentile quote-unquote, became messianic, the Jewish people were walking in this mitzvah. In my opinion, we messianics would do well not to try to uproot tradition just for the sake of trying to be different. In other words, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's nothing wrong with the way that Tzitzit are tied today. Therefore, don't try to get crazy and innovative unnecessarily. Don't become extreme, because extreme... uh, uh, Sparks extreme or Spurns extreme, and, and and I think there's there's it's a it's good that the Jewish people have preserved this for us. So let's let's just do everyone a favor and stop trying to come up with the latest and the greatest um, way to wear tzitzit. There's nothing wrong with the way it's being worn now uh, by traditional Jewish uh, communities, and so if if you want to wear the tzitzit, just do yourself a favor. If you if you are able to do this, go to a Judaica store and buy a set. And then if you want to put the tehaled in there, you have to unwind the ones that you have and then retie them put the blue in yourself. But learn how to tie them again pretty much the same way they were tied before with all the double knots and everything. I think it's a good practice, okay? Um, let's go ahead and call this Part C. We're about 40 minutes into the commentary. And when we return, we'll continue our discussion and look into the Shulchan Aruch as to the details on what uh, seat-seat wearing should look like. Okay, stay tuned.